Hi, my name is Sylvia Polini and this is my two cents on entrepreneurship. I personally think entrepreneurship is like being pushed over a cliff and falling into an ocean, yet you don't know how to swim. But you don't give up and drown. You struggle and you hold on and somehow in the middle of the waves, you learn how to swim. Welcome to Young Women in Business. This is a segment under the Twisted Perspective podcast that is dedicated to entrepreneurs, idealists, and innovators. You know, give it the kind of um, commitment and vigor you would, your your normal, you know, day-to-day business uh, job, rather. I mean, I remember how much, how many hours of my life I gave to the bank, mm-hmm. and that's all I kept telling myself while I was starting this business is like you were able to sleep four hours for someone else you can do it for yourself yeah, yeah work yeah. through the night work mm-hmm. weekends mm-hmm. I mean you know we, we had crazy hours in banking and if I could do it for some shareholders I've never met I can certainly do it for the shareholders that are my family I mean, a lot of my requests were on Instagram. We then launched a website, which then it just enhanced that sort of um, online presence. Mm. It became easy for people to order. It became easy for people to send inquiries. Um, and um, some people were also asking for collaborations. But you've got to invest in an attractive platform that um, I think gets the attention of the people that you you mm. you you've, you've identified as your market. Yeah. And so, how long did it take before um, before you know now Double Tree started um, contacting you? How long was it when you first did your first sale, and places like Double Tree? I'm approaching I mean, Double Tree was probably a year in, but I mean, the, a lot of the coffee shops and the gyms were a few months in. Three, two, three months in. Yes, all all those requests were on mm. DM. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is a tool. <laughs> it's powerful. It's powerful, and you know, it's free to some extent. Obviously, yeah. as we got, um, what what happens with Instagram is that the first couple of months you're following, it sort of shoots up. So it it's it's almost like a. a and accelerated mm-hmm. um, increase in following. And then at some point, it tapers off, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts to taper off, and then the increase becomes a, a, a bit low, but it's still there if, if your content is, is attractive enough. So then what you start doing is you need to start promoting some of the posts that you believe are doing well. Right. So then we started doing a lot of uh, promotions, what you call a boost. So you'll boost, and it's not expensive. It's maybe, I mean, you can boost for as little as $10, and you don't have to do it every month. You can do it every other month, you boost $10. You start reaching people who don't follow you, people who are not on your radar, mm-hmm. and then they start coming to your page. What we also found was useful is the use of influencers in the sense that we would send them juice. And 
our product is attractive enough that you don't mind putting it on your stories or on your feed and right. they would um, give us some airtime and post on their stories or on their feeds. So how does that work? Do you have to pay the influencers we, or you just send it to them as a gift? We just sent it as a gift uh-huh. and then whether if they want to post, they can post. If they don't, they don't. Our first one was huge. We actually did um, hampers. Mm-hmm. So we did f- our five juices with um, some um, sort of uh, health snacks, mm-hmm. like those health bars and those health balls, mm-hmm. um, all sort of natural ingredients. And then we added some like personal care items like a fancy shower gel right. uh, or like a, a beard shampoo for the guys and then you know just little things that don't cost too much but make people feel special mm-hmm. and then we we asked a fundi off the side of the road these carpenters to make little wooden boxes Right. And so we put everything in that box. We contacted them or their office, asked, we have a package for you. Where can we drop it off? And then it gets dropped off. And then it's such a a, a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. And in this world of sort of um, Instagram, you want to post when you receive something nice and cute or something pretty or attractive. So true. And we just got everyone. We had... Um, Mudoni Drama Queen post. We had one of the, the, the Just Jimit guys back in the day, uh, Frankie and Shiv post. We had, gosh, we had quite a few um, sort of really excited about this package and then mm-hmm. posting it on their feeds and their, um, their, their, their stories. And then their followers started, started following, following us yeah. yeah and they were like okay this thing works and it doesn't have to be a cute hamper all the time it can just be the juice right yes yeah. so then we sent to yami mommy she posted we sent to michelle marini she posted and then we actually had michelle's friend um fena the artist the, mm-hmm. the musician mm-hmm. fena actually bought she actually bought and then she posted Wow. And then we have a lot of other um, influencers now who actually just buy. So Fashionable Stepmom is a loyal customer. She buys, she posts. We've never had to pay her. She genuinely believes in our product. And um, the other one is lately, Just Joy Candy. Mm-hmm. She literally f- phoned, ordered, and um, paid, and posted a an actual post and you didn't have to pay her no i mean it's no if if your product is good i guess if the product speaks for itself yeah um people will be happy to put it on their social media right and that is why for me branding was so important Mm-hmm. My juice had to look a certain way. It had to make you feel a certain way when you bought it. I mean, it's it looks amazing. It looks edible from the outside. Yeah, you it, know, it just had to be attractive because right. then you can't justify the price yeah. otherwise. So, did you do the branding here, or did you do it in Lagos? We or? did the branding in Lagos, but I mean, it was all online. So mm-hmm. we used the company. No, it's a website called. Um, What's it called? 99 Logos or 99 something. Mm -hmm. It's basically an online platform filled with graphic designers and artistic people who freelance. You put your your 
profile onto the the website you obviously i think you pay a small fee and then you tell them you want a logo you tell them what your business is what mm -hmm. your what what you make mm -hmm. and you're looking to uh, have a logo designed and this is the look and feel that you want and then it's almost like a competition so you say the winner is going to will pay the winner x amount of dollars and then whichever graphic designer is interested will then take that information and then create for you and then we received about 15 different designs we shortlisted between us and the family we voted and then we decided on this one. I think this graphic designer was sitting in Sweden or Denmark somewhere. So tech savvy. Yeah. yeah. And then gosh. she put it together for us. We then chose her. And then we just asked for a few tweaks. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's all controlled. It's like it's like the Airbnb of, of graphic design okay, and logo. Yeah. What's it called yeah. again? It's called... It's all right. You can tell me, then you can add on the details. 99 designs. 99 designs. I think that's what it's called. Right. And I'll confirm with you. All right, cool. And so. and then w once she she gets, uh, obviously, 99 designs is now the central point. She mm -hmm. sends in all the vector uh, logo designs, all of that. Then, you know, we send the money and then everyone's happy. That and is, that's how we that did it. That is amazing. Yeah. That's a really, really good platform. It's the internet amazing. is full of amazing things that will make it your is. life as an entrepreneur easy. Wow. You don't have to do anything yourself anymore. Right. You just need to know what you want and and um if find you're willing to make the investment, the service, yeah. you just find the right people. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah. Yeah, so now I mean, we've gone like on and on <laughs> and forgotten the part where you're supposed to let me know when you moved from Lagos yes. to Nairobi yes. and what brought about that move. You said it's because you started being approached. Yes. By... And even in the cold season, uh -huh. we were still selling. Uh -huh. We were still selling juice. I mean, I, I think it, it was for me, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said to my husband, OK, this thing is actually uh, working. So we need to start thinking about relocating to Nairobi. Mm -hmm. And for him, it was attractive because it's something he'd been thinking about. Remember now he's been away from home for 18 years. Was it 18 or 15 years? Something like that. And it's this now time where you know, you've, you've done okay for yourself. Also, your mom is ill. You want to mm -hmm. give your siblings some help. And here's this business that we've invested, you know, all our savings in. It seems to be working. You know, Lagos has been great, but it's been for him two and a half years. Maybe, you know, it's time to look at something else. Right. And that's when he started then looking for work in Nairobi. And then, so this was around June. I'd come back from Nairobi to Lagos and I was like, okay, this thing um, is picking up. We're getting lots of requests, et cetera, et cetera. We really need to be on the ground on a full-time basis. And um, he started looking for work. He found a great job. At, I think in a, I think September, everything was finalized. It took September a few months. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then I was still doing the back and forth, back and forth. September, everything was finalized. October, we went back to Johannesburg to sort of 
collect some of our things and then um november we came to nairobi permanently mm. that's when it happened and then yeah and you know i've never looked back since um came here uh we sorted out our papers it helps that i have a, uh, the right surname we had to obviously get letters from south african home affairs our marriage certificate just to sort out the the legals mm-hmm. but i mean terra was already well established by then um everything was working mm-hmm. uh, he he is you know mm, shareholder director and then we've decided to make it a family business so we have shareholders who are his sisters as well who really um were instrumental in getting this whole business off the ground you know just mm-hmm. getting the place ready making sure the machine arrives um um you know s- setting up the employees screening everyone in my absence understanding the 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 Kenyan market so we know where to buy where to sell right. where my clientele lives because mm-hmm. they know the geography of Nairobi um what the sort of the sweet spot in terms of selling price should be mm-hmm. um and also trialing the juices because my palate is more geared to the south african taste mm-hmm. and i then learned that nairobians actually like the more sweeter kind of juices so we then had to tweak and adjust our juices to make sure that it it um it's attractive to this market right. yeah So when you're starting the business could you give us a rough figure about the starting capital so it's because, not yeah, yeah yeah because it's um I can imagine uh growing born raised in Joburg moving to Lagos and then now opening a business in Nairobi yeah so how was that was that rough and just the rough figure that you know probably would start and help run a juice company So I mean the way we did ours was a bit over the top. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. Um co-pressing. Oh, I was actually still explaining the machine to you. So the yeah. machine mm-hmm. is then a, it's it's a hydraulic press. Mm-hmm. So you use like a woven bag um and then you you throw in the fruit and vegetables now into um the top. Mm-hmm. And then it, what it does is it shreds it. It's almost like a grater, you know like a grater right. like yeah. what you used to grate cheese or mm-hmm. carrots it's almost like a grater but a big one mm-hmm. and then it it grates the f- the the produce mm-hmm. and then it all falls into this woven bag and then once it's in the bag you get these two massive um metal plates that then come together and they 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 exert sort of uh, hydraulic pressure mm-hmm. against the bag and then the juice then pours out from um the bottom and that i think that's what is termed cold pressing mm-hmm. so it's two hydraulic pre- um um plates that press together so you're not exerting any sort of heat to the produce so there's no stress that is exerted on on your fresh produce so when that juice comes down into your 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 bucket it's cold and you get maximum nutrients and you'll see the color of mm-hmm. our juice that mean green is a dark bright green and that just shows you that there's been no denaturing of the the nutrients in in that process but that machine 
needed to be imported from the US because we didn't have any um, local suppliers. So that's the first sort of piece of um, equipment that we had to buy. And it wasn't cheap. I think we spent about a million shillings on that machine alone. Yeah. And then you've got to get it. Uh, Kebs insists that if you're importing machinery, it has to be inspected um, at source. So wherever it's sitting, they have agents um, that work with a company called SGS. Mm -hmm. They are the inspection agents that work with um, basically standardization bureaus across the continent. SGS works with Kenya, which is Kebs. South Africa, which is SABS, the equivalent of CABS, and a few others um, mm -hmm. in Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And they have agents across the world, and they know what CABS requires um, before a machine arrives in, in, in Nairobi. So you pay a small fee, they go to the site where this machine is waiting to be shipped, mm -hmm. they do the physical inspection, they sign off, they send to CABS, or rather they send to your clearing agent, who then sends it to CABS. Then the machine gets shipped, and then you've got to pay clearing um, fees, obviously, when it arrives. And then we had a few obstacles where it wasn't configured to the voltage, the Kenyan voltage. Then we had to call the manufacturer, get new parts, and then find an engineer locally to um, replace the, the parts that had the incorrect voltage. The whole mm. thing was, it was dramatic. It you must know? have taken us six months just that that process of and, buying and mm -hmm. configuring right yeah and, and doing all that was there a point you're like oh, you know what yeah. maybe let's not was there a point that that happened and if there is yeah what, what what did you what what happened that you're like no let's just keep on moving on and doing this thing well first you're reminded that you've just paid a million shillings for this ah, thing right, right? there's that reminder. yes mm -hmm. so you're just like okay we're gonna have to sink a bit more money into this but I mean, the alternative is that we lose a million shillings and that's just not an option. It's, you know, and at the time, I mean, neither and I, this was money that, you know, we, we, we'd worked hard um, to to accumulate. You know, it's your hard work, it's your money, it's your time. Uh, you know, this wasn't a donation. And just like, you know, we've, we've, we've uh, taken this leap of faith. We've got to see it through, really. Mm -hmm. And so you just push on and then you find the right people we, it was a trial and error. I think we looked at three engineers. I think by the third engineer, it looked like the first two were just electricians, just fundis, you know. Mm -hmm. But then eventually we found an electrical engineer who then configured the, um, the machine for us. So that was our first machine. And then it was a small machine. I think we were making 50 bottles a day. Mm. Yeah, it was quite small. But it was sufficient for our requirements at the time. But then you realize that you're selling juice, volume needs to be um, the next step. So then your, strat your strategy changes. And then you start looking for money because now you want a bigger machine. Because everyone's asking for this juice, everyone's curious. Um, also, you're thinking, could I do bulk? Could I do one liters, two liters? Because um, that's what the hotels want. So you start thinking, we need a bigger machine because there's such a huge gap in the market. Um, at the right price, this thing could go mainstream. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But how do we reduce the price? We've got to go bulk. You've got to increase volumes to reduce your, your unit costs. So then we started speaking to family. And we were fortunate enough um, that everyone was on board and we then got a bigger machine. And that was now sort of the Ferrari of all machines. This was the Good Nature uh, X1, which well, is the one that the you one we, on Good Nature. The one we initially wanted uh-huh. but couldn't afford at right. the time. Uh-huh. And we thought this thing, um, it's, it's going to sort of change um, mm-hmm. uh, the business for us. Mm-hmm. And so we got that one. Uh, but, I mean, there were also other costs like... Um, but just the construction, getting the um, the facility ready, buying air conditioning, buying fridges, um, buying cooler boxes. Mm-hmm. And then um, at some point we decided to go glass. Uh, so we used to have plastic PET bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen on our Instagram page. Um, we used to have small PET plastic bottles and then we then moved over to glass. Isn't that more expensive so that's more expensive then you need um also a glass capping machine Mm -hmm. um which we invested in i think in february this year um so it it starts to add up and then you want you want a you want a great team as well so you want to pay your people properly so that you know they they continue to work as hard as they 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 were working a year ago yeah. um you've got to incentivize um your staff for me my staff is probably the most important asset of this business um just starting with getting that fresh produce cleaned sylvia mm-hmm. um what is an issue um you know people are quite sensitive about how things are cleaned, mm-hmm. uh, where the things are cleaned, who's cleaning them. So you want to make sure that your stuff is clean, the uniform is clean, um, and and they, you train them really well on how to clean a carrot, how to clean an apple, how to make how to clean a pineapple because pineapples have these ridges, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to clean it before you, you peel it. it yes, I because didn't know that. I had I didn't know that. Yeah, you've got to tr- just try and, and get you know some of the the um, the dust off. Mm-hmm. Um, also, your cutting utensils, the brushes that you use, because what we do with our ginger i mean ginger has so much soil yeah. what we do with our ginger you brush it you've got to brush that soil off and then you've got to soak it in um solution food grade solution for like 10 minutes and then you've got to take it out and then you've got to peel it and then you've got to rinse it like it's it's a whole process and i think for us that's the most important part of our um, manufacturing process just cleaning oh, the fruit gee. and vegetables yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Putting it through that machine, it, it, that's that's the easy part. Right, yeah, yeah. So, um, is the business able to um, to is are the profits able to sustain the business, For, or do you always have to go back and dig into your pockets and? There are there are months when we have to go back into our own pockets, mm-hmm. but you know there are months where. Um, sales are great and the business tends to sustain itself but it's a tough balancing act um, because the price of 
fruit and vegetables it changes and we must remember that is our core input those are that's that's basically the the, the core input mm-hmm. of our product so the bulk of my input cost is the raw fruit and vegetables and as you'd know those costs fluctuate depending on what time of the year it is mm-hmm. i mean when we started carrots were 99 shillings per kg uh, that's now retail, not necessarily wholesale. But then there was a time last month it was 129, which means then my wholesale price also changes. Um, cucumber changes. Celery fluctuates widely. Like celery can be 100 today to 50 tomorrow. Um, apples are all imported from South Africa, so they're not cheap. Mm-hmm. And depending on the supply, they can be. 20 shillings a piece or 30 shillings a piece. So why do you choose to import your apples from? Well, all Kenyan apples are imported from SA. Kenya doesn't grow apples. Oh, why do you know that? No, there are no apples grown in Kenya. And Uh if they are, they're not Uh A-grade. And we only use A-grade apples. Uh So there is a central location where they are all brought. Mm -hmm. And then all the vendors come and they pick. Right. Yes, that's, that's new news. I yes, know so that. most of Kenya's apples come from South Africa. It's possible they could come from other countries, but I, I don't know. But a lot of the apples here are Cape Cape grown apples. Right. Yeah, and then um, pineapples we get locally. Those are not too bad. Another thing that throws us sometimes is uh, lemon for some reason, mm-hmm. but. With fluctuations in prices, I can't fluctuate my juice price like that every week or every month. My juice price stays the same. So I then must absorb uh the increase in price of the fresh produce. Mm -hmm. And those are sometimes the times when we struggle. And you have to go back into your pockets. Correct. Right. So um, the way the business is moving for you right now, would you say that it's actually because how how old is it? Is it like a year? Eighteen old? months 18 now. Eighteen months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's that's a while. So would you say in in eighteen months yeah. that you guys uh have grown and now you can say that this is a successful business or is it that now you're still trying to gear up to it being a successful business? So I mean, success is relative. In eighteen months, I. I think we've done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, on average, I think it takes about three to five years for business to break even. Mm-hmm. So we, I think we're on the right track. We are relying less and less on personal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and each month it improves. And I think that's what keeps us going to say, okay, maybe some months we need to get help from our shareholders. But generally, you know, we're, we're managing to cover um, our costs month on month. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's looking a hell of a lot better than six months ago or even 12 months ago. And I think that's what keeps us going. Yeah, so it's just growing. Yes, growing, we're under growing. no illusion that, you know, we should um, you'll be making millions in profit because we're very much aware that... Um, Businesses do take a while to get to that point, but we've just got to um, just keep going. We yeah. really have to, as long as we're making improvements every every month, then we're happy. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could go back yes. to the beginning, yes. Tara, what would you have done differently? Okay, first of all, I wouldn't have registered for vet right away mm-hmm. because I feel like KRA gives you that um, that leeway for a reason. I think KRA says you don't have to register for vet until you're making, I don't know, revenues of X amount. I don't know the exact amount, but we were quite keen to just do it and uh, bite the bullet, get used to the fact that we have to pay that, you know, versus doing it two years from now when we do get to that threshold, uh, that revenue threshold. But then in hindsight, I'm like, well, I think KRA does it for a reason. Small businesses paying VAT can become a bit of a burden, especially when you are um, you are supplying supermarkets and they have 90-day payment terms. So for 90 days, which is three months, you must finance the raw raw produce, you must finance the delivery, you must finance the VAT. Because KRA says, once you invoice, you have to, you're liable for the VAT. Mm -hmm. So I invoiced in April, but I don't get paid until May, June, July, August, August. So for three months, I've had to, you know, um, um, finance uh, that supplier mm-hmm. because supermarkets tell you 60 to 90 days. Wow. And while you're making profit, you're not necessarily cash flush. So mm-hmm. profit is one thing. Yes, I'm making money from the supermarket, but my cash flow is strained for three to four months. I must fund the supplier for four months eventually i get my check Mm -hmm. but remember that money over that four month period must come from somewhere so it's just things like this so that's the one thing i should have i should have waited um and and not applied for vat right away but we're used to it now it's something that is a statutory requirement that we know we've got to meet Mm -hmm. and we make plans for it the other thing is um, payment terms. In hindsight, there are certain um, suppliers I should not have given mm-hmm. favorable payment terms to because even after a 90-day period, they still, they still don't do. pay you. Oh, so wow. then, you, then you're going into 120 days, and that becomes problematic. But at that time, we were so small that we didn't have sort of the negotiating muscle mm-hmm. to say no. We wanted at 30 days, take it or leave it. We didn't have that leverage. We do now. So now going forward, you tell someone it's 30 days. And if they're late by a week or so, it's not as stressful as 120 days. Right. So that's the one thing. Um, I think the other thing perhaps would, I don't know, um, there are just certain branding decisions we made that cost us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. For example, we really insisted on our label, white on clear. So our label is clear and the print is white. white yeah. And that becomes very expensive to sustain. Mm. So now we're just looking at other options. But we've also received great feedback from some of our suppliers that mm-hmm. black might work better in terms of visibility. Mm-hmm. Because once our juice settles, remember our juice has no stabilizers. Mm-hmm. It's natural. So when, when it's sitting in a fridge in someone's shop, it actually settles. And some of the juice, because the 
the writing is white, you actually you can't, can't see, see yeah. what this is. Yeah. So unless you know Terra, walking past the fridge, it doesn't catch your eye. It just looks mm-hmm. like this juice in a bottle. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't say Terra. So he actually suggested that we maybe look at uh, black on clear. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing research on black on clear and it's actually um, a little bit cheaper than white on clear and it's easier to find. Whereas white on clear, we struggled. Mm-hmm. We struggled to find a printer that could do it. Um, so it's those kinds of things that we, we insisted on quite early on. We didn't really have to. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't going to erode the brand at all. Right. Yeah. So, right. yeah. I mean, there there are a few things. I probably can't think of any, you know, off the top of my head. But, yeah. Those first two, definitely, mm-hmm. yeah. You'd have totally done different. For sure. Yeah, and um, what would you tell someone who wants to start a business? Yes. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a juice business, but any business, somebody who wants to get into entrepreneurship, what would you tell them? I think funding is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, people take for granted how much money is required to start a business. Mm-hmm. But I think just start. Just start. Start small, but just start. And, and you know, give it the kind of um, commitment and vigor you would, your, your normal, you know, day-to-day business uh, job, rather. I mean, I remember how much, how many hours of my life I gave to the bank. Mm-hmm. And that's all I kept telling myself while I was starting this business. It's like, you were able to sleep four hours for someone else you can do it for yourself right. yeah work yeah. through the night work mm-hmm. weekends mm-hmm. i mean you know we we had crazy hours in banking and if i could do it for some shareholders i've never met i can certainly do it for the shareholders that are my family right. people i care about yeah. and i'm um, also knowing how much money has been invested um, it really pushes you to make a success of the company and and the business. So I, I really would say just start. Start. Just however start. Small, however just small, just start right. and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also find that networks are important. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs tend to sit in cocoons um, and you know stress all by themselves. There are people out there willing to invest in your business, willing to give you. Um, their time and advice, but also willing to connect you to other people. Um, we supply the UN, three cafeterias in the UN, three cafeterias at ICRAF, which is also UN Avenue, mm-hmm. and the US Embassy. Wow, Those are all networks. Those are all networks. We, mm-hmm. um, The guy who did our... Okay, first of all, a family member introduced me to someone who was willing to do our design our uh, website. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I gave him the time of day. I met him when I was in Nairobi. I'd meet him. We'd sit. Um, you just create this rapport. I also like to ask people, where do you want me to meet you? Mm-hmm. So that I, I am not confined in my comfort zone all the time, which is what I asked you when yeah, we met. Where where so do you want me to meet you? of that. <laughs> I am super guilty so, of that. For me, oh gosh, I, yeah. I use that to my advantage. Where uh-huh. do you want me to meet you? Then I'm in your environment. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting your people. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting 
uh, your colleagues and when i said to him um Utsav, where do you want us to meet he said come to nairobi garage that's where i will i work out of then it takes me out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. and then after several discussions but you also meet people and nairobi garage is literally on the mezzanine was on the mezzanine floor mm-hmm. um where the coffee shop is and he introduced me to the owner of the coffee shop and he was keen to try us out and that's how we then got into now these other places um so it's just about giving people the time of day it, how ikraf happened so ikraf um it, it's also one of these uh, campuses where it's plastic free just like the un so us going the class route was also really strategic mm-hmm. because we wanted to get into those places where we knew our clients worked mm-hmm. um and and ikraf was another one um i met we used to be at the k1 flea market and we had this lady who loved our juice but she was she was a bit um different and i liked her because in nairobi i'm also different right mm-hmm. but it's that kind of person no one really gives the time of day um but she there was something just quirky and interesting about her mm-hmm. so and she was very critical of certain things that we were doing at the time we were doing plastic very critical of our plastic given where kenya's going as a country trying to go plastic free and here mm-hmm. I am introducing plastic into the environment mm-hmm. and I felt kind of guilty as a foreigner doing that but she was also very helpful her criticism was very constructive then she randomly messaged me saying she was at Vogue cafe at the museum Nairobi museum and the, they don't have fresh juice mm-hmm. and so she's going to give me the number of the owner and I must just give him fresh juice So I followed up on that lead and that's just a network I made while I was a vendor at K1. I followed up on that lead. I met the owner of Vogue. He says, "Well, I have a cafe here. I have one at the head head office at Stanbeck and I have three at Ikraf." So and that's how you got and that's it. how I got that. Amazing. So it's really networks are very important in business mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. You can't live in your own cocoon. You've got to get out there, meet people you wouldn't necessarily meet, speak to people you wouldn't necessarily interact with and get out of your comfort zone. And basically just also ask for help. Yes. Something I think I'm just also, you know, it gets to a point, I think even with the podcast or whatever it is that I'm doing, yes. I'm like I want to do my edits, I want to do my artwork, yes. I want to do my marketing, I want to do everything by myself because At times you tend to feel that yeah I can give that responsibility to someone else yeah. but I just want it to be done the way I want it to be done so how do you get to a point where you're like all right let me get employees in yeah. because I feel like I'm really really struggling with that right now with the podcast yes. you end up having four hours of sleep yes. three hours of sleep because you don't want to give people work right. or bring people to work right. for you because you just want things done in a particular way and you feel like you're the only one who can do it. It's really all about systems thinking for me and and that's I think what I learned in business school where once you 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 are, you are the architect of your business. Mm-hmm. So the, play, the 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 parts of the business where you can create systems, you need to do that, right? And then you need to teach people how, how to do it. But if you have systems, processes and procedures, you've got a rule book, 
then it's those things are easy to do then you can keep the creative process the minute you do everything yourself sylvia you then rob your business of out-of-the-box thinking because you're so consumed with the day-to-day Right. The day-to-day can be put mm-hmm. in a system, mm-hmm. a system, a process, a procedure, and then you teach someone how to do it. Mm-hmm. I used to wash, clean, peel, press juice bottle. I used to do that. And it's important to do to know each part of your business, you know, intimately. Mm-hmm. But after a while, I'm just like, it's not rocket science to wash, peel, as long as I've created systems in place, I have rules, I have processes, mm-hmm. I have procedures, and I can teach people how to do that. I never have to do this again. I come in once in a while for quality control purposes to make sure people are still following the rules. But if people follow the rules and you've made the rules easy and clear and they've seen you do it so they know it's possible, you never have to do those things every day. So then you can do it every other day mm-hmm. so that on the, on the second day, you have the headspace to think about growth. You have the headspace to think about high-level strategy. You have the headspace for business development. You have the headspace for creativity. Mm-hmm. You're creative, but now you're boggled down with all the admin, fi- finding someone to interview, um, editing that's not that those are not your creative juices flowing so you're restricting the growth of um your business because you're so bogged down with the everyday you can't think about anything else and all that does is it just keeps you where you are yeah. it's very difficult to grow when you're doing the same thing every day which is the admin mm-hmm. yeah it 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 then it robs your your business of your creative self the reason you started this to begin with so you need to then start looking at um handing over some of the stuff you that 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 is easy for 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 systems um uh thinking Mm -hmm. and then you can keep maybe the creative side of things but you can't you can't it's not sustainable to do everything Everything. every day man i feel that yeah i totally feel that you're going to frustrate yourself you're going to hate what you're doing Mm -hmm. because you're going to feel stagnant every time you wake up you're going to be like gosh okay i need to edit that thing Uh, you know this needs work i need to find someone give that to other people give that to other people do the stuff that you know you 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 know you will really struggle to hand over i do my own business development i could hire a rep i could mm-hmm. do that but i don't think they would sell my business in the way that i feel it should be sold mm-hmm. so that i keep to myself i do business development myself but i don't have to bottle the juice myself sylvia mm-hmm. mm. right yeah i can I don't have to source the fruit and vegetables myself because I've taught my production manager the quality we require. And I mean, she, she, the first time we found our Apple vendor at High Ridge, we were there together at 5 a.m. in the morning. And we were, we were literally selecting the apples one by one, one by one. If it's bruised, we don't want it. One by one. If it looks yellow, too old, we don't want it. So now she knows how to do it. Then she did it by herself two, three times. But then we, we have um, a driver who's highly intelligent and 
he's then there and she goes selecting and he sees it it's it's all a system and systems are not not something you know it's not something fancy it's really it's really the basic day to day and now he knows 5am you're there because the earliest bird catches the fattest worm so 5am that's when the great apples are at high range and you get there and then you select you, you've got your torch one by one one by one when they get to our, our facility this, there's a new system that starts there the ladies who juice there's one of the team leaders and she'll then check the apples one by one if there's a bruised apple then the driver must account so he's not going to jeopardize um, his position by cutting corners because he knows the way the system is set up someone's going to check when that stuff reaches the facility mm-hmm. so it's just creating that i can't be up at 5 a.m every morning going to high ridge to pick apples it's mm-hmm. not sustainable mm-hmm. so you then teach people this is the system this is how it works just follow these rules and then you maintain your quality um mm-hmm. throughout um the the process and the procedure it, mm-hmm. it's you you've really got to give yourself the best chance at winning and you do that by trusting other people um with the systems that you've created you certainly can't do everything alone Wow, yeah. ton of wisdom, guys. I mean, that's amazing. That's how that's how big companies become big. Yeah. yeah at some point, you're not in the same country as your mm-hmm. main factory, but right. you 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 are confident enough. System. Yes. Yeah. That your systems work. Hi, it's Sylvia here. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Young Women in Business. Again, I really hope you guys are picking up so much from these incredible women. And I hope that you guys will be here next Tuesday, same time for another episode of the Young Women in Business.